Welcome to today's podcast with Crosspoint Church, where we share the gospel and we share our lives. With so many fun and new exciting things going on at church, we want you to be in the loop. So make sure that you check out our Facebook page and that you check out our website at www.crosspointwaverly.com. And now for today's message. Amen. Let's pray this morning. God, we thank you so much that there's nothing better than you. God, we're grateful this morning for your grace and for your forgiveness that when we've tried, when we've tested you to see if there was something better than you, you've accepted us back, you've forgiven us. And God, I pray this morning for those that are still searching to see if there's something better than you that this morning that they would realize that there is absolutely nothing that's better than you. God, I pray that they would taste and see your goodness this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Come on, let's give the Lord one more hand clap of praise this morning. Thank you, Jesus. You may be seated. Thank you, worship team. Incredible. What a blessing to be at a church with such a great worship team. Amen? As they were rehearsing this morning, I'm telling you, my heart was just filled with joy as they sang that song, Let There Be Joy in the House of the Lord Today. Honestly, I was standing right over there during worship, and I was just tearing up. And I was like, yes, God, let it be. Let there be joy in your house this morning. And I believe that there is. I believe that you have come this morning believing God to speak to your hearts and do something special in your lives. Well, last week we had a special guest speaker who brought a very visionary uh, message. If you missed last week, I would encourage you to listen online or watch online at crosspointwaverly.com or find us on YouTube or Facebook. This morning we're continuing our series on worship. Worship is the inward and the outward expression of our love and gratitude for God. Worship is our inward and outward expression of our love and gratitude for God. I mentioned a couple of weeks ago that when we pass from this life into the next, for those of us who are followers of Jesus, we will get to worship him for eternity. And there may be some of you who are like, that sounds boring. Can I tell you, that will not be boring. There will be nothing boring about being in heaven and worshiping God for eternity. And so we should be building that competency now. We don't want to make it to heaven without practicing worshiping God. We don't want the first moment that we stand before God to be a moment where we have no clue what to do, but instead let's practice it now. Let's practice it on Sunday mornings. Let's practice it on Monday morning and throughout the rest of the week. Let's be worshipers of God. Amen. I believe that this has been one of the most important series that I've preached in the history of our church. And I've said each week that it has the potential, if applied, to impact our lives individually and collectively. And I believe today that this message specifically has the opportunity to change our lives if, we're, uh, if, we, put it, if we apply it to our lives. This week I was ready to go a totally different direction, which I'll probably preach that message next Sunday. And on Tuesday during sermon prep time, I just felt like the Lord dropped this word into my spirit for us today. And so I put that message that I was working on on hold and went with an entirely new direction for this morning. And here's what I believe is that there are some of you here today or some of you watching online that you need to hear this message today. And so I just want to tell you that I hope you've come expecting God to speak to your heart because he's, he's going to. Worship should come out of every part of our being in every season. Worship should come out of every part of our being in every season. It's what we were created to do. From the very beginning of creation, we were wired 
to worship God. When we live lifestyles of worship, it doesn't matter what comes at us. We are wired, trained, and conditioned to worship. There are a number of reactions that people uh, would have in, in uncertain circumstances. And so if you found yourself in a life in, 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 in with gunfire going off, there would be multiple reactions that would take place for some of you. I know that at track meets, when the gun is fired to signal the start of the race, every time it happens, guess what I do? I jump, absolutely jump. I'm not even running, but I'll be in a conversation talking to somebody. I should be watching, but instead I'll be in a conversation talking to somebody. That gunfire will happen, and all of a sudden I just jump. I mean, it just scares me every time. And so uh, there are others of you who would have a different reaction. But if we were in a live fire situation, there would be some of you who would jump. There would be others of you who would drop to the ground. There would be others who would ask, what should we do in this moment? There are others of you who would run, others would duck and reach for your hip at the same time. Some of you know what I'm talking about. I remember watching a documentary on the training of people in the Secret Service. And on March 30th, 1981, there was an assassination attempt against President Reagan. And there's this video that shows Tim McCarthy, one of the Secret Service agents, throwing himself in front of the president, and he was shot in the chest. Reen Seiler from the early show pointed out that he said to him, it would seem that one's natural reaction would be to duck. And yet you jumped in front of the president. Was that a result of the training that you go through? McCarthy replied to his question by saying, that's exactly right. If you saw the big picture out there, a lot of people, police officers, military, were ducking and looking for cover. That's the training that they received. They did exactly what they should have done. But in the Secret Service, he continued, we're trained to cover and evacuate the president. And to cover the president, you have to get as large as you can rather than hitting the deck. So he says, I have people who have asked me, and I've said quite frankly, it had very little to do with bravery and an awful lot to do with the reaction based upon the training. Think about that for a moment. It had less to do with bravery and more about the training. We are wired from birth to worship God. Our worship to God should supersede anything else. And listen, I'm not saying that I'm perfect in this. This message is just as much for me today, maybe as it is for you. Maybe that's why I'm excited about it. It's because it spoke to my heart. But I believe that God wants to speak to yours as well. And so here's a question for you. What is your first emotional response to pain, discomfort, loss, attacks, and crisis? What is your first response to pain, discomfort, loss, attacks, and crisis? For those without hope, their response is to duck. The response is to sink back, to sulk, to become discouraged, disillusioned, or depressed. This is natural because McCarthy says in different words that in moments of crisis, we revert back to our training or lack thereof. As, listen, y'all got to get ready for this. As followers of Jesus, when we hit crisis, we should revert back to our training. While others duck in crisis, we should worship because it's what we are wired and what we've been trained to do. 
When the enemy attacks, we don't cower. We worship God because that's what we're trained to do. Our training has equipped us for this moment. It becomes our second nature. It becomes our natural response. This is easier said than done, but absolutely doable by the power of the Holy Spirit. But it's going to boil down to our training. When we live lifestyles of worship, it won't matter what comes at us, we'll worship. And worship is a powerful weapon. We're going to look at a couple of stories this morning, one from the Old Testament and one from the New Testament. This morning, first, we're going to turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 20. I'm going to invite you to turn in your Bibles to 2 Chronicles chapter 20, and I'm going to invite Tyler to bring me that water bottle that's sitting in that chair right there. Let's give Tyler a hand as he does this this morning. Thank you. You're amazing. Hey, how about those scratch cupcakes this morning? So normally when we do scratch cupcakes, there are tons left over. And last week during second service, I just anticipated that we were going to have tons of cupcakes left over. So I texted Pastor Madison so I could make an announcement. Hey, make sure you grab cupcakes when you leave. And I said, how many are left? And she texted back and she said zero. And I said, ha ha, for real, how many are left? And she said, there are no cupcakes left. I'm like, there is no way that there are no cupcakes left. We ordered 400 cupcakes. There's no way that first service ate 400 cupcakes. And somebody's like, well, the kids were grabbing multiples. I don't care that the kids were grabbing multiples. There's no way that they ate 400 cupcakes. And it was driving me nuts all Sunday afternoon. And so my wife was like, because my wife in staff meeting said, we should order more. And I was like, 400 is enough. Not everybody's going to eat a cupcake. 400 cupcakes is plenty. And so Sunday, you know what I got to say to my wife? You were right. I was wrong. But see, here's the deal. I wasn't wrong. We were shorted half of our cupcakes. So no wonder all of them were gone uh, after first service. And so I called Scratch Cupcakes, and they were so apologetic. And they said, we want to make it up to you. What if we just brought you 400 more cupcakes for this Sunday without any additional charges? And I was like, that sounds amazing. So listen, I said it last week, and I truly mean it this week. There are plenty of cupcakes, so let your kids have multiples. Make sure that you grab some. Let it be a sugary kind of, mother, uh, sugary kind of treat uh, today for them. We got those last week for Mother's Day to celebrate, and we're just going to celebrate mothers again this week. Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse number 3, it's going to appear on the screen. It says, then Jehoshaphat was afraid, and oh, before we get there, there's this arch large, large, there is a large army forming to come against Judah. And so this is the setting of this. And now in verse number three, then Jehoshaphat, he had too many scratch cupcakes. Some of you will catch that later. He was afraid and set his face to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. From all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. And Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations in your hand are power and might so that none is able to withstand you. Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? 
and they have lived in it and have built for you in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, if disaster comes upon us, the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this house and before you, for your name is in this house, and we will cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. Now behold the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came from the land of Egypt, and whom they avoided and did not destroy. Behold, they reward us by coming to drive us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. O our God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Let's pray this morning. God, we thank you so much for your word and for the power that it has to transform our lives. We ask that over the next few moments that we would sense a demonstration of your spirit's power. Would you open up our ears to hear, our hearts to receive, and our minds to understand what you would have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. In verse number three, it says to this news that Jehoshaphat was afraid and that he set his face to seek the Lord. This army's coming against him. He's afraid, and he sets his face to seek the Lord. And in verse number four, he says, the entire nation assembled to seek help from the Lord. In their moment of crisis, they immediately turned to God. They didn't sit around and worry about it forever. They took action. They fasted and prayed, and they worshiped. And I want you to think for a moment, what is your first reaction to crisis? What's your first reaction to crisis? Jehoshaphat is the king of Judah. He has just found out that an army much larger than his and more powerful than his is coming to attack his nation. He has the responsibility of the prosperity and the safety of his nation. And there's something that's jumping out at me at this moment in this passage, and it's the fact that their first response was to do something spiritual. And for unbelievers, and even for some believers, this response is lunacy. The natural response, if you're about to be attacked, would be to recruit and train more soldiers, to refortify the city walls, sharpen your swords. There are all kinds of practical things that would seem to make a whole lot more sense if you're about to be attacked than what they did. And I just want to say that I'm not opposed to using the natural things that God has given to us, right? If we have a pantry full of food and we ask that God would sustain us physically while not eating the food that he's provided for us in the pantry and then we die, that's just stupid, right? He's given us practical things that we can use and so absolutely we should use them. But what I'm saying is that too often in a crisis, our first response is to do something in the natural rather than allowing God to do something in the supernatural. And maybe I'm alone in that. Maybe there are others of you who the very first time that you experience crisis or a moment of difficulty, you immediately begin to do what I'm preaching about this morning and you worship God. But I think for others of us, Maybe we've slipped away from that and we look to the natural first. And I just want to encourage us to come back into alignment with this. And let's give God the first chance, right? So the nation turns to God in prayer and fasting. And then Jehoshaphat makes this faith declaration that I want to read to us again. In verse number six, he said, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? 
You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations, and your hand are power and might so that none is able to withstand you. He's declaring how big and great and how powerful that God is. He goes on to remind himself of the faithfulness of God in their past and remembers the promises that God has given to him. And so in verse number seven, again, he says, did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? And they have lived in it and have built for you in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, if disaster comes upon us, the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this house and before you, for your name is in this house, and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. If, he says, God, you have been faithful in the past. We trust your word, we trust your promise, and if disaster comes upon us, if sword or judgment or pestilence or famine, we're going to stand before you and we're going to cry out to you in our affliction and you will hear and you will save. I want to take a moment, well, let me just say this, what confidence, right? Jehoshaphat had tremendous confidence. God, if all this happens, we're not going anywhere and neither are you. We're going to cry out to you, and you will hear us, and you will save us. As I, word the, as, I, as I read the word Israel in this passage again, I just felt like we need to pray for the nation Israel. And so let's right now pray for peace. I'm sure that you've seen the news of what's happening there, and let's just pray right now for them. God, we thank you for the nation of Israel. We thank you for all that you've done there, and we just pray for peace. As rockets are being fired, as, uh, as war, not war, but as uh, fighting is taking place. We just pray for peace. We pray for protection upon people. And we pray that in the midst of this calamity, that people would look to you. Rather than run from you, we pray that they would look to you and that they would find deliverance and peace. In Jesus' name, amen. What confidence that Jehoshaphat had. That God, no matter what happens to us, we're not going anywhere and neither are you. How many know that we need a church filled with people with that kind of confidence and faith in God? That when crisis hits, we say we're not going anywhere and neither are you, God. And when crisis hits another member of our family, that we look at them and we say God's not going anywhere and neither are you. We're going to stick beside you and we're going to see you come through this. Amen? Verse number 12 says, O our God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. He doesn't deny the natural. He isn't scared to state the reality of the situation. His army is outnumbered and outmatched, and God didn't punish him for his lack of faith, for announcing that their army was greater or bigger for him. He accurately assessed and he verbalized the situation and God still brought them through. Now this past year was tough on every leader that I know, but verse number 12, uh, I wish that I would have read this verse 15 months ago because there's just a, it just verbalizes clearly what we've experienced over the last 15 months. Where Jehoshaphat says, we do not know what to do, but God, our eyes are on you. And all of the leaders in this room said, amen. 
We don't know what to do, but God, our eyes are on you. I think this is going to be my life verse moving forward. God, I have no idea what to do, but my eyes are on you. I think some of you are going to walk away this morning with that verse stuck in your head, and it's going to come out in moments when you're facing situations where you're just going to be like, God, I don't know what to do, but my eyes are fixed on you. Right after King Jehoshaphat says this, in verse number 14, the spirit of the Lord comes to Jehaziel and he says in verse number 15, listen all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great horde for the battle is not yours but God's. Tomorrow go down against them, behold they will come up by the ascent of Ziz You will find them at the end of the valley, east of the wilderness of Jeruel. You will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm, hold your positions, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. O Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, and the Lord will be with you. He says to them, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed, for the battle is the Lord's. And again, he repeats it in verse number 17. Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. Tomorrow you will go out against them and the Lord will be with you. In verse number 18, then Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground. And all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And the Levites of the Kohathites and the Korahites stood up to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. So what did they do? They praised and worshiped the Lord. They praised and worshiped the Lord. And verse number 21 tells us specifically and exactly how they did it. It says, and when he had taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire as they went before the army and say, give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. And when they began to sing praise, the Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir who had come against Judah so that they were routed. Listen, there are some things that don't make sense in the natural mind. But with God, all things are possible. As we read in the story of the Israelites marching around the walls of Jericho seven times and sounding the trumpet and the walls found, it doesn't make sense. But with God, all things are possible. And what an incredible formula for us to follow in all seasons to turn to God no matter what, to fast and pray and to worship. These people worshiped God before they knew the outcome of the battle. Think about that for a moment. They worshiped God before they knew the outcome of the battle. And there are some of you who are like, God, I will worship you when you do exactly what I want you to do, exactly when you want me to do it. These people worship God before they knew the outcome of the battle. This is because worship is the recognition of who God is. We don't worship him only for what he has done for us or will do for us. We worship God because of who he is. And so when we began to sing, and when they, not when we, when they began to sing and praise, the Lord set an ambush against the opposing army. The opposing army was annihilated. In verse number 24, it says that none escaped. And they accomplished all of this without ever physically picking up a sword. They did battle in the supernatural, and God did battle for them in the natural. What would it look like if we would start with the supernatural and trust God to fight our battles rather than the natural?
What if at the start of any difficulty or crisis, we would turn to God, that we would fast and pray and worship him? I know that if we would do that, we would accomplish so much more faster. Worship is powerful. Verse number 25, it says that it took them three days to gather all of the spoils of, of, of what had taken place. Three days. When we turn to God and worship, he can do exceedingly and abundantly more than we could ever dream, ask, or imagine. If this story doesn't inspire your faith enough, I want us to turn to a story in the New Testament in Acts chapter 16. If you'll go ahead and turn there, Acts chapter 16. As you're turning there, Paul and Silas were on their way to a prayer meeting when a demon-possessed girl began to harass them. She was a fortune teller, and she made all kinds of money for her masters. And Paul had had enough of this harassment. This woman was demon-possessed. He cast the demon out of her. When the slave owner saw that his potential of earning more money was done, he had Paul and Silas arrested. And so in verse number 22, it says, The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off of them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. So you have the picture. These men are on their way to a prayer meeting. They cast this demon out of this woman. They're doing the Lord's work, and now they've been beaten and they've been thrown in jail. What would have been your conditioned response? What is it that you would have practiced in any moment of crisis up until this moment that would have come out and manifest in this moment? Paul and Silas weren't looking for the natural fleshly options. Instead, what these guys who had just been arrested and locked up did can be found in verse number 25. So you have the image, right? These men have been beaten, they're thrown in prison, and here is their conditioned response. At about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. They worshiped God. Their conditioned response was to worship Worship is powerfully effective. As they prayed and as they sang, the foundations of the walls were shaken. As a result of an earthquake, the doors were opened, their shackles were unfastened, and they were set free. God can do so much more in the supernatural than what we can do in the natural. God can do so much more in the supernatural than what we can do in the natural. And maybe that word is just for me this morning, but I don't believe that it is. I believe that there are some of you who are facing stuff this morning and you've been trying to creatively figure it all out on your own and God is saying to you, worship me and let me, worship me, do the supernatural and let me figure it out for you in the natural. In a moment of sheer exhaustion, pain and imprisonment, their time singing and praying accomplished for them more in mere minutes than what would have been that, more in mere minutes than would have been impossible in their physical strength. In both of these stories, with Jehoshaphat and with Paul and Silas, they turned to God and prayed. When we face times of celebration, 
we turn to God in praise and worship. I'm going to ask that the worship team would join me on the stage. When we see death, we worship God for life. When we face scary health diagnosis, we worship God for healing. When we face financial insecurity, we worship Jehovah Jireh, our provider. When we face temptation, we worship the God who provides a way out. Chris Hodges wrote in the book, The Daniel Dilemma. He says, worship is surrendering yourself to the power, majesty, and goodness of your creator. Letting God be God even when you don't understand what he's doing or when you disagree. I'm going to say that again. Worship is surrendering yourself to the power, majesty, and goodness of your creator. Letting God be God even when you don't understand what he's doing or when you disagree. Worship should be the first thing that we do when we face loss or crisis or hardship or major setback. The worship of God can produce courage to fuel our faith when we're being tested. In both of these passages that we've looked at this morning, breakthrough happened after people worshiped God. No matter, out, no matter what the outcome, they worshiped God. And I believe that this morning there are some of you who are going to experience breakthrough. Some of you are going to begin to exercise your worship muscles, and as you do, God's going to give you victory. I believe it with all of my heart this morning that some of you have come in today and this is an on-time word from God directly to you. So in just a moment, the worship team's gonna lead us in another song and I've invited some people to come up to the front and to pray for people. And so when that moment happens, if you've come this morning needing God to do something in your life, I want to encourage you to step forward in that moment and let someone pray for you. And I want to encourage you today and every day to be worshiping God. And I believe that as you do, you're going to experience the breakthrough that he has for you. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes all across this room? Maybe there are some who've come in today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus. You've never asked him to be your Lord and Savior, and you say, today I want to become a follower of him. Maybe there are others of you who at one time walked with God, but you've turned your back on him. You say, today I need to see my relationship restored back to him. In just a moment, I'm going to lead us in prayer, and if that's you, I want you to repeat it after me and mean it with everything that's within you. But know that you won't be praying this prayer alone, but that each of us in support of you will also be praying. So if that's you, you say, I need to ask Jesus to come into my life for the very first time. Or you say, I need to see my relationship restored back to him. When I count to three, why don't you, why don't you lift up your hands all across this room, if that's you. One, two, three. Lift them up all across this room. Thank you. I see that hand. One, two, three, four. You can put them down. Are there others this morning? Thank you, Jesus. Let's stand all across this room. There were at least four hands that went up this morning of people who need to ask Jesus to come into their life for the very first time or who need to see their relationship restored back to him. So again, I'm going to lead us in a prayer, and I'm going to ask that you would repeat it after me. Mean it with everything that's within you, but know that you won't be praying this alone, but that each of us in support of you will also be praying. Let's pray. Say, dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross for me. I admit that I'm a sinner. I admit that I've messed up. This morning I ask for your forgiveness. 
come and give me a fresh start. Be my savior. Be my king. Take over every area. Take over every aspect. And help me from this day forward to live for you with all of my heart, with all of my soul, with all of my mind, with all of my strength. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's give God praise for what he's done this morning. Thanks for joining us. We hope that this message was inspiring and encouraging. For more information about this message or about all things Crosspoint, check out our Facebook and head to our website at www.crosspointwaverly.com.